Hey everyone, I'm Maddie. And I'm Emma. And we're the Huga Girls. Huga, in short, is the pursuit of everyday happiness. Each Monday, we give you the tools to build your happiness toolkit through discussing topics related to social media, health and wellness, pursuing your passions, and so much more. Welcome to the Huga Girls Podcast. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Huga Girls podcast. We're so excited to be back on the mic with you all, and especially today, it's a very special, fun episode. If you follow us over on Instagram at Huga Girls Podcast, you may know who our guest is for today's show, but if not, definitely go give us a follow. We're super interactive over there, give you the opportunity to ask questions both to us and our guests, and it's just a good time. It's a party on an Instagram. But if you don't know who today's guest is, I'm so excited to introduce Paige. Paige Pritchard is a spending coach who helps women stop impulse shopping and overspending. She discovered her passion for helping women develop healthier spending habits through her own personal struggles with impulse shopping. And when at age 22, she blew through her $60,000 salary after graduating from college. So all of our postgrad girlies out there, this episode is for you. By uncovering the root cause of her shopping and making a commitment to develop healthier spending habits, she was able to turn her financial situation around in her 20s by paying off $40,000 of student loan debt, cash flowing her MBA, becoming a homeowner, and building a multiple six-figure investment portfolio by age 29. Y'all, Paige rocks. In 2020, she became a certified life coach through the Life Coach School and since then has coached thousands of women to become better spenders and reach their full financial potential through her social channels, her podcast, the Money Love Podcast, and group coaching through her program, Overcoming Overspending. And if you needed more of a reason to listen to today's incredible episode, Paige's work has been featured in publications like NBC News, The Washington Post, The Daily Mail, BuzzFeed, The Guardian, and The Dr. Phil Show. So we have an incredible episode for y'all today. We hope that you enjoy. So let's jump right into it. Hey, Emma. Hello, Maddie. Hello, Paige. Paige, welcome to Huga Girls Podcast. We're so excited for you to be here and to talk all things money today. It might be a little taboo of a topic, but we're so excited to actually jump into the world of finances. It's definitely a little bit of a different episode for us, but definitely a very important one. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Have you ever been on another podcast before? Because we know that you have your own podcast, Money Love. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you, have you been a guest on a podcast? Oh yes. Many times. I mean, I I love being, I mean, of course I love having my own podcast, but I also love being guests on podcasts just to kind of, you know, like just have a conversation. I mean, I will say on my podcast, most of the episodes are just me talking. So it's always good to be on other podcasts and talk to you guys. But yes, been on, been, been a guest many a times on other podcasts. So. A, a seasoned pro. Yes, I love it. I know it. Yay. I know. <laughs> so we always talk about like, because Huga, if you if you guys don't know who's listening or, you know, just a rebrief for everyone is the pursuit of everyday happiness. So that can really encompass so many different things. Um, a lot of those are just like cozy feeling kind of things but also we all have real lives to live and I think that's why we're so excited about having you on page is 
money is a really real part of life. Um, and so we're definitely going to get to all the nitty gritty with you and all of the questions that we got from our audience and just questions we have as well. Um, but we'd love just to first hear about your personal journey, just you as Paige, and then your journey with getting into being a life coach, being a money guru, all the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I always say that my work in money really is kind of autobiographical because I really got into it just through my own personal experience. And also I'll use the word struggle with money in the past. So just to kind of give everyone, uh, you know, just a relative place of kind of where I am and how old I am. So I'm 33 years old. And when I graduated from college, I was 21, almost 22. And that was the first time in my life that I started making real money, right? I had always had jobs in high school. I always had summer internships. And truthfully, whenever I would have those jobs, I would spend everything that I would make. Now, I wasn't making like huge money, right? It's not like I was making like, you know, like the salary type money that I was making out of school, but I never really had great money habits growing up. It was like money, to your point, you're saying like it was taboo. It was a super taboo topic in my household. My parents never, ever, ever talked about it, which, listen, is so strange because my mother is a financial advisor, okay? Like my mom is a CFP, and yet I always just find it so weird that even even still with that, we never talked about money in my household growing up. And so it was just this type of thing that it was like really taboo and I would spend it as soon as I would get it. So I graduated from college and like most people do nowadays, I decided that I was going to move back home with my parents for a year because the job that I got was back in Dallas where I grew up. And so I was like, listen, I had $40,000 of student loan debt. I had no savings. And so my plan, or I guess my thought process at the time was, okay, I'm going to move back home with mom and dad. I'm going to live with them for a year, keep my expenses really low. I was making $60,000 at my job um, right out of college. I was actually working at a car dealership selling Cadillacs. That was my job. Everyone's like, what job did you get at 22 years old making $60,000? I'm like, well, I'll tell you. Cadillac, I know girl. I was awesome. I was That's selling cool. Cadillacs okay <laughs> that was about to be my question I'm like what job is I that? know I know right I, like I, it's so funny everyone wants to know they're like what job is that like I'm gonna go do it I'm like no you're probably not or like not gonna want to do it because I was selling Cadillacs um so I was able to like keep my expenses really low and by working at the dealership it was just crazy because like they gave me a car to drive it wasn't my car but it was like a demo so they gave me like here's a Cadillac and we're going to pay for the gas and the insurance and we're going to pay for your cell phone bill. So I virtually wow. had like wow. no expenses, okay? So I went into this year being like I'm going to be able to make so much progress. I'm going to be able to get the debt paid off, save up so much money. This is going to be fantastic. And just to kind of make like a long story short, that's essentially the opposite of what ended up happening that year, Mm -hmm. because turns out I didn't like selling cars very much, was not my cup of tea, shocker, (laughs) Uh, was definitely not for me. And, you know, it was just, that was a period of my life where I was going through a very big life transition. I mean, it's hard transitioning from college to real world. I mean, that's a challenge in and of itself. I had just come out of a really serious, like four year relationship with kind of like my college boyfriend who like, I thought we were going to get married and then we broke up. And so 
Oh boy. <laughs> I know. Right. And so now it's like, now looking back, you know, a decade later, having some space from it, I clear, I can clearly see now that that was a time in my life where there was a lot of things going on, a lot of change, uncertainty. And frankly, I was just dealing with a lot of negative emotion that I didn't have healthy ways to deal with and cope with. And so my kind of chosen, you know, like, thing that I would go do to kind of buffer away and, es- and escape from that negative emotion is I would go shop. So I would go up to the mall. There's this really like fancy ritzy mall up by the dealership and I would shop on my lunch breaks, A, because I just wanted to like get out of the dealership. I just wanted to be gone from yeah. there. I was like, I do not want to be here. So I would always go up to the mall on my lunch break and shop. And it definitely was not uncommon for me to go up to the mall like several times a week and just drop like one, two, three hundred dollars each shopping trip. And it didn't seem like a big deal at the time because at the time I was always like checking my bank account like quickly just to say, okay, like is the money in there? I was still very focused on like, I don't want to be spending money that I don't have. But I mean, that was pretty much the extent of it. I was like, if there's money in my checking account, like I'm going to go and I'm going to spend it. And in the beginning, I justified it as like, oh, I'm starting this new job in the corporate world and I need to build up a corporate wardrobe. And frankly, I just had this like idea in my head. I think from, you know, like I said, I was I was definitely a 90s baby and like early 2000s girl. Okay. So I grew up, I know I'm a little older than y'all, but I grew up in the whole era of like these amazing movies, like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and 13 oh, Going yes. on 30 yeah. and, you know, Devil Wears Prada, right? And so you see all these girls in these like corporate environments and you think to yourself, like, that's how my life should look as someone in the corporate world. And so you think Absolutely. like my wardrobe has to look a certain way. I have to look a certain way, hair, makeup, nails, like the whole shebang. So anyways, that happened for a year. That went on for a year of just me going up to the mall on my lunch breaks and just shopping, shopping, shopping. And the end of the year came to move out of my parents' house because my parents were like, all right, you got to go. And I could barely afford to move out of my parents' house. Like I remember the day I checked my bank account because the apartment I was going to get needed a security deposit and I didn't even have the money for the security deposit. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's how much shopping I did. I mean, like something a chronic yeah I mean I talk about this a lot but I'm like I impulse shopped my way through my $60,000 salary and people are like oh no like you know you had bills and stuff like that and I'm like no I really did I you're like I really mean mean, it's like no I, I really shopped like practically through my entire salary because I virtually had no expenses and that was really like my wake up moment because I was just like okay I've spent this entire year shopping, shopping, shopping. Now I can't even afford to move out of my parents' house. I have nothing saved. I didn't make a dent in my student loans. This entire year that was really supposed to be this like amazing kind of like foundational year where I could make a lot of progress and really set myself up for success. Like I just, I totally blew it. And I obviously now I have a lot of love and compassion for my past self because I can see why she did the things that she did. But in the moment, it was obviously very shocking and very disappointing. And I felt really embarrassed and honestly, just kind of like, how could I have done this and how could I have let this happen? So I don't want to paint it like an overnight success because it's not. I know we live in a very like instant gratification world and we want to see like the quick transformations. And so I don't want to paint this of like, oh, I just had this wake up moment and I was able to like completely turn my life around financially. This was literally a decade in the making. 
and it really, we can talk about this, but it really just kind of started with like some small tangible changes that I made. But over the next 10 years, it was like, you wouldn't even think I was the same girl if you looked at me 10 years ago to where I am now, specifically with my spending and my consumption habits. So I, I got my, um, $40,000 of student loans paid off, got married to my husband, who he brought in another $60,000 of student loans into the equation. So between the two of us, we had a hundred grand of student loans. We had credit card debt. Um, but through the next couple of years, it's like we made a plan. We paid that off. I was able to go and cash flow my MBA. I was able to buy a home. I was able to start investing. And you know, invest in my life coaching certification, which wasn't cheap. And so it was just all these kind of like changes and these small steps over the course of a couple of years that I was really kind of able to turn things around. And in 2020, right when the pandemic hit, um, is when I went back and got my life coaching certification. I was still working a full-time corporate job at that time, but throughout my journey, I think it was like 2015 or 2016. That's when Instagram was really starting to become like a thing, right? Like mm -hmm. seven, eight years ago, right? And I was like, I'm just going to start posting on Instagram and just telling people what I'm doing. And I don't even know if anyone's going to care or if anyone's going to pay attention, but let's just see what happens. So I started an Instagram. Worth yeah. Yeah. So I started an Instagram and I was just talking about, Hey, I'm working on getting out of debt. I'm working on off paying off my student loans. And then I got them paid off. And then I started sharing, Oh, I, I was able to pay off my student loans and cash flow my MBA. And it was this thing where like people kind of like started coming out of the cracks, like into my DMS and no one was really open about it, but everyone, cause again, it's very taboo, but everyone was like, Hey, how did you do that? Hey, like, could you help me do that? Hey, I have a lot of student loan debt. I'm in a lot of credit card debt. Can you help me? And so at first I just started helping people cause I loved it and I wanted to, and started realizing, Oh, I really like this. And also I'm actually pretty good at it. And I feel like, especially with women, I mean, everyone I was working with was women. And I think with women, it's like, there were so many women out there who a, were so desperate for help and B wanted that help from someone who looked like them and who had kind of been through their same struggle struggles and wasn't just kind of like an older guy that didn't get them and that didn't understand them and didn't understand like the unique yep. struggles that they were dealing with. And so kind of started doing it for fun and realized, I actually think that, you know, I could turn this into a career. And so that's what I did at my life coaching certification. Um, you know, I, for a long time, I really talked about anything and everything related to money, right? But even even money as a general topic is so broad. I mean, you take money and there's all these different little facets of money. There's budgeting, there's investing, there's, you know, negotiating a raise, there's retirement, there's but the one area that I just kept coming back to over and over and over that no one seemed to be talking about, but yet was causing the most problems and the most damage to the women that I was helping was their spending habits. Because spending money is a thing that I think all of us are just conditioned to think like you just spend it. Like money, you, like you earn money and you spend it. Like we don't really think of it as something that is a skill. We just think of it, oh, it's just something that you do. And a lot of the times we think of it as like it's a part of our identity or our personality. So I'll work with a lot of women who will say, oh, I'm just a spender. Oh, I'm just a shopper. Like they came out of the womb being that way, right? Like they're telling me like, yeah. oh, I have blonde hair, blue eyes, and I'm a spender. 
And so because of that, just because of the way that we're taught to like think about spending money, a lot of the times we just think like, this is how I am and this is how it's always going to be. We don't look at spending money as, no, this is actually a skill. It's something that you can get better at over time. And if anyone's evidence of that, it's me, right? Like I said, like if you looked at my spending habits 10 years ago versus now, you would think you were looking at two completely different girls. But because of that, I was like, okay, this is really where I need to kind of dive in here. And so now like my sole focus every day is I wake up and I help women stop impulse shopping and overspending and basically like, wow. And you wouldn't think like there's like a huge market. for. Oh that, my gosh. It's, it's so good to hear you say that because it makes people feel like if that resonates yeah. with them, that it's not only them. you would be so shocked at how much, but here, but here's the thing y'all like, it doesn't seem like a big market because no one talks about it because it's very like underneath the table and it's very taboo and it's something that's very shameful. Like nobody wants to come out and talk about how they got themselves into $10,000 of credit card debt because of impulse shopping. No one wants to say that. Absolutely. So there's tons of women that need help with it. You'd never know though. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And One, as a female who has recently graduated and is entering the corporate world and is trying to figure out, you know, what to do with debt, loans, with investments, with just budgeting in general, your content is so, 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 so helpful. So first off, thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for sharing the backstory. I know that there's vulnerability in sharing, you know, like I did go through my $60,000 paycheck and I didn't have expenses essentially. And like, this is where I ended up. It almost shows, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You can turn it around for yourself. But like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. So I'm curious to know what steps did you take to become the person that you are today to come the spending, to have the spending habits that you have today? Was it a budget? Was it, you know, you listened to a podcast and one day you were like, oh, I shit, I need to turn my life around. Or was it just small things over time? I'd love for you to walk us through. Yeah. So in the beginning, like the first thing I want to say who anyone who feels like you're kind of in this boat is like, just understand that we can't right the ship overnight. Okay. So, and, and again, I know we live in like a very instant gratification world and I know we're all very tempted to be like, I want to see change and I want to see it now. But one of the biggest things that I think, and this is more of a mindset than anything else. One of the most important mindsets that you have to have, especially if you're kind of where I was and where you guys are age wise, let's just say young to mid twenties is keeping in perspective that you have so much time. And so if this process takes you a couple years, that is okay. Like you're not going to get your entire financial world turned around in a week or a month or probably even six months. It's probably like at least a year. So keeping that all in mind, but in the beginning, don't overwhelm yourself because the things I I think, I think where we get ourselves in the most trouble where, and not trouble, but just like when we try things that don't work is we try to make these like huge drastic changes immediately again, because Mm -hmm. we're so hungry for that transformation. And we think, okay, if I want to see this huge, big transformation, I have to start making huge, big, drastic changes in my life. But often that's not sustainable to like completely do a 180 because your brain is just going to be like, whoa, 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 this is too much. What's happening here. And then everything's just 
going to fall apart. And then you're just going to be left feeling worse than you started. So here's some like of my favorite things that you can just start off right away. If you're struggling with your spending habits and you just kind of want to like get things going. Okay. So one of the first things that I want you just to think about, and you can do this, pull out a journal, a piece of paper, do it in the notes app of your phone. But I think it's so key of gaining awareness over your shopping habits and your shopping triggers. And a couple of things to think about first and foremost is like, why do I shop for me? Right? Like, let's take me answering that question. It's like, well, I shop because I hate my job and I don't want to be here and it's uncomfortable and it's a distraction for me. And I'm going through a lot Mm -hmm. of negative emotion and shopping feels good. And it feels better to focus on the shopping than it does to focus on my life. So asking why am I shopping? Then also getting really clear on kind of the, the characteristics of the shopping that you're doing. Where are you shopping? Are you shopping in bed at night? Like, you know, scrolling on your phone in bed? Are you shopping in person? Are you doing most of your shopping online? How do you shop? Are you shopping in person or online? Um, are there any other like triggers or characteristics? Like, do you tend to shop when you've had some wine at night after you're, you know, unwinding after a long day? So kind of figuring out, okay, these are my triggers. And then what we can do just right off the bat is just put some boundaries around those triggers you might not be able to eliminate them completely, but we can at least limit your exposure to them. So I'll just give you some examples like for myself, right? I have, I. it's like I've kind of gone through this and answered these questions for myself and I understand what my triggers are. So for me, shopping on my phone is a really big trigger. So I made a rule to myself, no shopping on my cell phone. Like I do not buy things on my cell phone, which means I'm not buying things off of social media ads. I'm not buying things on apps. If I want to buy something, I need to buy it on my desktop computer or I need to buy it in person, which again, that just adds a little friction into the equation. So it's like, if you really want something, you're not just gonna be able to buy it in a couple clicks on your phone. I also have a boundary for myself that I don't do any shopping after I've had wine because you know, occasionally I like to have a glass of wine, like at the end of the day. And I started to notice, oh, when I'm drinking wine, I tend to do some shopping. So that's another boundary that I put for myself. Um, So really just kind of first and foremost, figuring out what are my triggers and what are some boundaries I can put in place with my consumption habits. Another really easy thing that you can start doing, and this is one of my favorites, is starting a list that you're going to call or title things that I want to buy. And this cannot be like, don't just make this like an Amazon wish list. I want you to make this a, a separate list. So I actually keep my things I want to buy list in, um, it's a, it's a website called Notion. It's kind of like an organizational website. Oh, I have okay, Notion. Yeah. I think Maddie does too. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, yep. oh, I love Notion. Notion. Yeah, so I have my things I want to buy in Notion. And so, but it doesn't have to be a Notion. It could be the notes app on your phone, you could keep it in a journal. But what I want you to do is from now moving forward, anytime that you see something that you want to buy, our natural inclination is just to go buy it right there and then, right? It's like, click, click the button, go buy the thing. But now what I want you to do is I want you to add it to your things that I want to buy list. And this is actually really effective. Like I've talked to a lot of people who will tell me that sounds too simple to work. 
until they try it and they're like, oh my gosh, this actually works so well. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I have to show you something on my phone. It's literally a list called, I don't know if you can see it. Oh my gosh. It's called want to buy. Yeah, perfect. Like right here. I I heard, oh my gosh, like it's helpful because I have not gone back to reference this because I don't actually need the stuff I put on. Well, that's what makes the list so effective is first of all, like half the stuff that you put on your want to buy list or things I want to buy list, you're never going to end up buying because so often when we get exposed to something, like let's just say you get an Instagram ad for a tote bag and you're like, Ooh, I like that. A lot of the times we would just go and buy it. And then when you go and you put it on your things I want to buy list, what's happening is you're delaying that gratification, but you're also giving your brain time to cool off. So I I, I actually love to understand like how our brain works because I think it's just really helpful to like understand ourselves. But when you're exposed to an ad to buy something or when you see something is on sale, dopamine actually starts to get released in our brain and dopamine... Dopamine is the feel-good hormone, right? It's like what our brain always wants. Our brain just wants little squirts of dopamine. Whenever you even start to like think about buying something or think about shopping, just the anticipation of a purchase, your brain will start to release dopamine. And so- That's so interesting. And so even when you're like scrolling on your phone and you see an ad and even you're just thinking to yourself, ooh, I want to buy that tote bag. Even just thinking that will start to release dopamine in your brain. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why. And now it's so easy because everything is like online shopping. Like Instagram is literally all like shoppable ads. I know. It's crazy. I know. And that's why it can feel so hard sometimes. Like a lot of my clients will tell me like, it feels like I can't even help it. It feels like I'm just like a moth to a flame. Like every time I see an ad Mm -hmm. and it's 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 because like listen they're the reward centers in your brain when you see an ad like that are literally lighting up like a christmas tree and what happens is yeah it's going buy it buy it we want it we need it we have to have it and your brain in that moment becomes a very emotional brain and all the parts of your brain that control like decision making logic reasoning get suppressed And so it's the emotional part of your brain that's kind of like running the show. And so what this I want to buy list or things I want to buy list does is it gives your brain a cool off period and it allows you to kind of Mm. come back to that logical part of your brain, which to your point is why a lot of the times you add stuff on that list. And then when you give your brain time to cool off, you come back to it and you're like, "Uh, uh, nah, like I don't really want it. Like, I'm glad you're validating me having that list. I forget where I heard it. It honestly might have been you, but I, I remember seeing someone be like, this is what helps me. Yeah. Um, and I just started doing it, one, because I'm, in my brain, the reason for doing it is probably not the best reason. My brain is like, oh, I'll reference it later. And I'm, I, I'm, and I'm not the most impulse shopper, but like, you, you just get in those moods, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like really not caring that much or you got paid today. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, it's not a big deal. Yeah. So putting it in that want to buy in my brain, I'm like, oh, it's just so I can have it for later. But the amount of times I go back to that list are like probably 5% of the time. Like I just forget about it. And I'm like, okay, obviously I didn't need it that bad if I don't even think about the fact that I wanted it yeah. to begin with. Well, and you know the other crazy thing about the list? So first of all, yes, it gives your brain a cool off period, which is incredibly powerful. But the second reason why it works so well and is so powerful is because, like I said, keep in mind, dopamine, scientists actually call dopamine the anticipation molecule. 
So like I said, and not like the happy one. Yeah, yeah. So well, it's it, so dopamine is the is a happiness molecule or hormone in our brain, but it gets released in the anticipation of a pleasurable event. So when you're adding something yeah, to your thing, wow. I want to buy list, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to buy this tote bag right now, but I could buy it in the future if I want. A- adding things to your list still gives you that hit of dopamine. So I mm-hmm. experienced this myself and I have a lot of my clients tell me this is like, honestly, it feels many times better to add something to my things I want to buy list than to actually buy it. Because when you're adding mm-hmm. it to your list, you're anti- like you're thinking about getting to buy it in the future. You're anticipating that in the future. So you're still getting a, d- a hit of dopamine when you do that. It's just, you're not actually spending the money yeah, that's such and a good buying point. the thing. So Anyone can do this. Super easy. Yeah, it feels fulfilling because it's like you're still sustaining the option of buying it. Yeah. So like it still exists. Like it's not it's not lost in the world. But it's it's crazy. Like it is crazy. Like shopping is just a crazy concept. Yeah. Wow. I wanted to um jump to kind of like a a different question. Obviously along the same topic, but when you are getting your paycheck, because I know your transition was when you assume when you start getting paid is when you become more responsible, but that's not always the case. But just from your point of view and your experience, what's the first thing you should do when you get your paycheck? If it's not spending, like what what are your priorities? Yeah, no, I love that. And honestly, I love that you use the word priorities because I actually teach a concept that I call the priority of your money. And Perfect. yeah, I know. So it's like, I didn't, I didn't even have to like tee you up for that one. It's almost like I listen to your I podcast. know, I know. And I actually, I'll send it to you guys if you want to link it in the show notes. I'll run through this concept quickly, Absolutely. but um, I'll send you, because I did an episode on my podcast where I literally walked through this concept in a lot of detail. But I want you to think about it this way. So a lot of us, like if I was to ask you guys, like what's more important? Is it more important to pay for your Netflix or is it more important to pay your rent? Right? It's like, yeah, you're going to pay your rent. Right. Yeah. So when we think about like needs that we have as human beings, we obviously like for us, it's kind of like the hierarchy of needs, right? So it's, it's very important to us that we have shelter, that we have food to eat, that we have water to drink, that we have food on our bodies, that we have medication that we need to stay healthy. And then, you know, it's like we kind of have everything else. And so it's funny because like logically we know, like of course it's more important to pay my rent than to pay for my Netflix bill. We know that, but a lot of us actually don't manage our money according to those priorities. So what a lot of us do is when we get a paycheck, we will go and we will spend all of our money on a lot of the more of like nice to haves or what I kind of refer to as like the wants versus the needs. And then when it actually comes time to pay for needs, um, funding financial goals, making sure that you can meet your minimum debt obligations. Like if you have a car payment or a student loan payment, we're like, shoot, I don't have any money left. Like there's nothing in here to do that. So that's why I teach, okay, your money actually has a priority. So anytime that you get paid, you need to be thinking about your money in terms of like most important to least important. I teach that there's five priorities. The first priority is your needs, necessities. Okay. Rent, utilities, um, groceries, things like that, right? It's like, these are the things I need to live and survive. Priority two are your minimum debt obligations because I always want to make sure that you have what you need to cover 
your obligations and you're not falling behind on that. Again, student loan payments, car payments, personal loan payments, credit card payments, anything like that. That's the second priority. The third priority is funding a financial goal that you want to be working at on at a given point in time. So this could mean that you want to work to save up an emergency fund. This could mean that you want to be putting an extra amount towards debt that you have up and above the minimum payments, things like that. But I always encourage my clients like at any given point in time you need to be have you you need to have at least one financial goal that you're working on in any given moment. And once you achieve that, then you can go on to the next one. So that's the third priority is funding a current financial goal. The fourth priority are what I call sinking funds. And it's like, I don't call them that. A lot of people in the money space call them that. But just think of sinking funds as like smaller, tinier savings pools for specific things. So you'll, you can start to create a sinking fund for anything that you know you won't be able to like cover out of pocket when it arises or for things that you just kind of want to save up for gradually over time. Like for instance, I have a travel sinking fund. I have a sinking fund for my dogs. I have a sinking fund for Mm -hmm. my house and my car. So if anything were to happen in those areas, it's like I already have this kind of little pool of money set aside for those things. That's the fourth priority. And then the fifth priority are just your wants. I call them money loves the things that you love to spend money on. Maybe it's eating out, maybe it's clothes, maybe it's home decor, whatever it is, that's your fifth priority. Now, I know this sounds like a lot, but almost all of this can be automated. Okay, one through four can be completely automated. And I'm I'm yeah. really big on automation. I'm like, look, your money, managing your money should not feel like a chore. It should not be hard. It should not be difficult. My rule of thumb is spend one to three minutes a day, like checking in with your money. And it doesn't even like, I'm saying average that out over a month. So you don't even have to do it daily, but if you were to kind of add that up over a 30 day time period, it's about an hour and a half of your time over a month. So maybe it's one to three minutes a day, or maybe it's 15 to 20 minutes a week, right? It can be either yeah. or like yeah. some, some girls just to like check in with yourself. Yeah. So I actually use a budgeting software called YNAB, Y-N-A-B. It stands for you need a budget, but that's the software that I use to budget and manage that's my money. Like- yeah. <laughs> um, and so people are always like, okay, well, what are you doing in those one to three minutes a day? What I'm personally doing is I'm logging into YNAB. It's literally like part of my morning routine. I always have YNAB pulled up on my internet browser YNAB is hooked up to all of my bank accounts. So I'm literally just going in, kind of eyeballing everything, just being in the presence of my money for 60 seconds-ish, logging any transactions that need to be logged. And I'm not doing that manually. YNAB just pulls everything through for me automatically, which makes it really, really easy. And then on payday, I'm maybe like when there's actually money flowing into our checking accounts, I'm maybe spending like 10-ish minutes to do that. But all of this can be automated. Yeah. Steps one through four. So it's like your needs are basically bills. Automate all of your bills. Set up automatic payments for all of your debt payments. That can all be automated. Whatever financial goal that you're working on, set up an automatic transfer for it. So if you're wanting to save $500 a month towards an emergency fund, set up an automatic transfer from your checking to your savings account on payday. I and I always say this, if you're going to like be transferring money, do it on the day that you're paid just to kind of make it 
inevitable. So you can't spend that money on other things. Sinking funds sure. can all it's be like immediately. Yeah, in, immediately exactly. Out. It's kind of yeah. like the 401k. Like it's, it's, it's honestly like kind of that. like, yeah, we just treat it like it's not even there. Yeah. Sinking funds can all be automated. So it, it's really like setting up a system for your money and listen, Okay. I know me talking through this, it's like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot. And I just want to kind of add this little like disclaimer. You have to think about your money in terms of like a machine that you're building and like a system that you're building. And in the beginning, yes, when you are building your system, it is going to take a little bit of time and effort and energy to build that system. Self-control. There's just... (laughs) Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Like it is going to take you some time and it is going to take you some energy to like go into your bank account and set up all the automations and figure out what are my bills? What, what days do I pay my bills? What are the amounts of my bills? That kind of like gathering of the data and the information and then setting everything up, it takes time. But once it's set up, it's like, it's almost kind of like an autonomous, like self-driving car, right? It's like you teach the car how to drive. And then once it's all set up, you just kind of get to go like, and take your hands off the wheel and just kind of coast. Mm -hmm. And then on a month to month basis, every time you're paid, it's not this like mental game of like, okay, what do I need to do? And what needs to get paid? And it's just all happening. Absolutely. Automatically. Yeah. And it, I I guess I take back what I said initially where I was like, that takes a lot of self-control. It doesn't. It just takes the effort on the front end and then it takes the self-control away from it because like you said, like it goes in, it goes right back out. So I think Mm -hmm. from my standpoint as someone who is recently graduated and has, you know, income, true income for the first time in my life, when I was looking for apartments, when I was looking at renting versus buying, I kind of was like, what do I do here? Like, what is my per se budget for an apartment lease or for a down payment for a home? So what percentage of your income do you think should go to, you know, your living situation, whether that be leasing, whether that be buying? Because I feel like, you know, everyone's saying, oh, buy, buy, buy. Because if you buy, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're putting money into something. It's an asset. Versus Mm -hmm. if you're renting, you're just throwing money down the drain. So I would love to hear, one, the percentage of that, like what should be going towards it? And secondly, like when do you make that jump, rent versus buy? Yeah, yeah. So here's here's the thing with money. And I know this is going to be like, I don't know. I Sometimes I ruffle some feathers when I say this. but I love that. With money, I feel like we can, I know, like, so I feel like with money, we think of money as a very like black and white numbers, math driven resource. Like that's just how we're all kind of like trained to think about money growing up. And it's like in a lot of ways, yes, of course it is. But, and so because of that, I think that all of us, especially like when we're trying to like learn things about money one of the things that we get really focused on is like, okay, well, what are all the rules and tell me the percentages and, you know, like, where should I be at? And we're always kind of wanting to like, make sure that we like fall within the rules. And, you know, like most people will answer that question and they'll probably give you an answer that will say like, look, you need to keep your housing costs at 20 to 30% of your overall income. So like for those of you who just kind of like want a benchmark number, it's kind of like, that's kind of the benchmark number. Okay. It's like 20 to 30% of your pay will probably go to like living expenses. Okay. But here's, here's a little asterisk that I always like to add. Okay. 
is that you have to take everything with a grain of salt and you have to be able to evaluate your own individual situation because what's going to be right for me living in Dallas, Texas versus living in Colorado versus living in Charleston, it's all going to be different because it depends on, are you married or just like, it's like married or do you have like another income like in the mix, right? Is it you and another person? Is it just you? What's the cost of living where you live? Because someone living in New York versus someone living in, let's just say like Arkansas, um, Arkansas are going to be two very drastic situations. And when I tell someone, and, and this is kind of the danger that happens when we start to throw out these like general percentages is because the girl that's living in New York is going to be like, okay, well, 30% of my income doesn't even cover rent in like a one bedroom studio in New York versus the girl in Arkansas who's like, yeah, 30% of my income and my husband's income combined gets us, you know, a $600,000 house in Arkansas or, you know, like a a 5,000 square foot house in Arkansas. So it's it's really like so key. And I know, especially like when we're kind of starting out, we want to know like the confines and the rules and the black and white restraints. But always take everything with a grain of salt and really kind of evaluate through your own lens. Like, does this actually make sense for me? And to answer your second question about like, when is it appropriate (laughs) or time to kind of make the jump? I mean, again, I, I like hate to say this, but it really like, it really depends. Like there's no, there's no clear, like, limit or age to say like, by this age, you should be a homeowner. It's becoming harder and harder to become a homeowner. Like, let's just all be honest about that. The housing market is insane. Houses are rising at a rate that wages are not rising. Um, and so again, it just, I mean, cause someone, someone could be ready to buy a house when they're 25 and another person might not be ready to buy a house until they're 35. Yeah. Right. And one of the biggest things that I always preach is like, don't get yourself hung up on timelines with your money. Okay. Because the timelines, in my opinion, they're kind of just BS to begin with. Like you, you guys have probably seen these articles that I'm talking about where they're like, by this age, you need to have this. Oh, yeah. By this age, you need to have this. And yeah. you see those articles. And oftentimes we don't live up to those timelines and to those expectations. And then we start thinking, crap, like I don't have any of this. I'm behind. I'm behind. Yep. Yeah. I'm behind. Everyone's so much farther ahead than me. I'm never going to be able to catch up. Like it just sends us into a panic, which then ironically just makes us, and I'm using air quotes. I know you can't see, but like more behind because when we go into panic mode and overwhelm mode, we freeze and we don't do anything. Yeah. So it's like you thinking the thought I'm behind will only cause you to become more behind, which is just the ironic thing about about that thought. So just be careful with like timelines, expectations. Like I get it. It's what our brains want to do. Our brains are wired to compare because comparing feels really safe and comparing gives us something to kind of like latch onto and say, okay, like here's how I'm doing compared to her. Yeah. 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 And I know that's just like our natural inclination, but really just catch yourself when you're kind of falling into that comparison trap, especially with money. Cause I always say we're all running different races with different starting lines, with different finish lines, with different obstacles, with different lifelines, right? It's like someone coming out of college who's in $100,000 of student loan debt is going to be in a very different spot financially than someone who's coming out of college that has 
zero student loan debt. And it's just getting to basically start at zero and go up versus like having to spend a couple years like digging yourself out of a hole. Every situation's different. That's so true. Something I'd love to talk to you about, which is kind of the topic that we're on, is just like not feeling bad about like where you're at. Something that I actually had to unfollow someone the other day. I followed this like business coach, which at first it was like making me feel good, kind of, you know, like financial support. But then it came across this video where it's basically like, if you're making a $50,000 salary, you're wasting your time because I make $50,000 in a month. And it's just hard, especially online. You see people taking brand deals that make your salary, literally. They're like, oh, I got paid $50,000 to post about this random brand and that's what I'm working for in a whole month. And I remember my first job that I got was like a 50k salary. Um, and I remember feeling almost like I can't tell people that because what if people think that's not good enough or like people, it's just so in your face, especially social media, 18 year olds making $5 million a year. And it's like, there's, you can name them all. I mean, there's lots and lots of people out there that you just know are bringing it in and they're younger than you and they're ahead of you. Um, or there's business coaches telling you you need to quit your job and start a business because if not, you're you're being financially stupid. So how do you take in information or I guess know what information is worth taking in and what's not from like someone who gives out very good information um, and also work through, I guess, not comparing yourself mm-hmm. because I literally saw someone that was like, if you're making $50,000, which is around my salary now, you are like wasting your time. Mm. And then of course I, I had to have the self-control literally to unfollow her because I was like, all that did was just Insecure. make me feel like yep. everything I work for every day is like not good enough. Um, and I'm like, I'm literally 22. Like I shouldn't feel bad about this for having a stable job. Like I should be proud of myself. But yeah, how, how do you how do you know what's worth taking in and um, navigate feelings of financial comparison? Yeah, that's like honestly such a tough one. So here's my thing on comparison, right? Is like, you know, we know the very like famous quote of like comparison is the thief of joy, right? And I think yeah. like the advice that we get a lot of times on comparison is we try to get advice to stop comparing ourselves. And I just tried so long to get myself to stop because to your point, I was like, okay, well, it feel this feels terrible. Like it feels awful when I compare myself to other people and you know, it makes me question my own like inner wisdom and my own choices and my own judgment. And so for a long time, I would just try to get myself to just like stop comparing altogether, which honestly that never worked. And one of the things that I try to do now is honestly, like I stopped fighting against myself to stop comparing. And I just opened myself up to the fact that like, look, I'm going to kind of indulge in the comparison because like I was saying earlier, that is literally what we have been designed to do as human beings. Okay. So first of all, it's like, as human beings, we are like packed animals, right? Like we like to be kind of like in the presence or connected to other human beings and our brain's number one job at all times is survival. Okay. So when you understand that about your brain, you can understand why your brain is constantly evaluating 
your current set of resources or your current situation and it's comparing it to what other people have because that's your brain's job your brain is your brain's job it's like who's more equipped and you know like millions of years ago thousands and millions of years ago when like humans were living in caves like your brain's inclination to compare resources was actually like incredibly helpful for survival in 2023 it's like not so much but our brains are still designed to do that and so i think it's just first of all having a lot of compassion for yourself when you find yourself comparing and what i always tell myself now is like it's normal to compare and it's to your point we have never been in an era where we compare more because we've never been in a time where we have more insight and transparency into other people's lives than we do now. Social media has truly... That's the issue is like, I know how much Sally made on her brand deal yesterday and I know how much Jessica is making at her job. And so... It, you know, you're finding that contentment with yourself, but yeah, it, it is all a journey and they're all so separate and you don't know where they're at really. Yeah. And I day. think it's like understanding that like the comparison that we're doing on social media, it's like, first of all, like, I think you kind of have to understand, like, let's just take this example that you're talking about with this business coach, right? It's like the yeah. reason that this business coach is telling you this is because it's like, you're doing exactly what she wants you to do. Cause it's like, she wants you to see that and be like, oh, like she wants that comparison to happen. And she wants that comparison and that gap that you feel between where she is and where you currently are to like drive you to do something, to like take an action or like to hire you. And that's the thing with social media y'all is like everything that you're seeing, it's all positioned to like get you to do something, right? Like influencers, they're like, let me show you my refrigerator, my pantry, my skincare routine, my closet, because ultimately they want you to fall into that comparison trap and to focus on the gap between what you have and what they have. And they know that like our natural inclinations is to want to close that gap in whatever means possible. And so the best thing that you can do for yourself is a have grace and compassion with yourself when you find yourself comparing and just don't judge yourself for comparing. Cause I, cause I, like I always say like when we feel a negative emotion and then we judge ourselves for feeling that a negative that negative emotion you're basically just like piling negative emotion on top of negative emotion i call it i call it like a negative emotion sandwich (laughs) right it's just like you're feeling bad and then you feel bad about feeling bad and it's just kind of like okay this this isn't helping right so have first of all it's like have grace and compassion for yourself but the biggest thing that and i think this is like kind of goes along with this whole like de-influencing trend that we're currently seeing right now that's like becoming really big and hot. Mm -hmm. People have really like misconstrued this whole like de-influencing thing. Like people think it's like, oh, I'm just going to tell you products that like you shouldn't buy because they're overpriced or overhyped. But I have a very different like definition of what de-influencing is. And I, I brought this up because I think it's when you see someone on like let's just say specifically on social media that has something that you want that you don't currently have many of us are being influenced by that yep meaning we think oh okay she has the fifty thousand dollar a month business which means i need to have that that is being influenced when you see someone have something that you don't have It's like you going out and immediately saying, I need to get that as well. Whether it's creating the same result or buying, you know, the same thing that they have or what, like whatever the product is that's being influenced. 
Okay. Versus being inspired by someone. So it's kind of like taking something someone has and saying, okay, something about that is resonating with me. And comparison, and let's just let's just say comparison and jealousy. They're kind of like sister emotions. They're very closely tied to each other. They don't have to be a bad thing because they can actually be kind of like a mirror to show you something that you want and desire for yourself. So it's kind of like we can use comparison against us to make us feel bad, insecure, inadequate, not good enough, or going back to the inspiration, we can kind of use it a, to kind of show yourself, okay, something about this is like resonating with me. Something about it is like pulling me. How can I be inspired by it to create a similar result in my life? But that does not mean going out and creating like a carbon copy of someone's life. And that's what a lot of us are doing. We feel the jealousy, we feel the comparison, and we think the only way I'm going to be able to fix this problem is if I go and buy everything on her Amazon storefront, or if I go and I build a business that looks exactly like her business, that's influence. Yeah. Inspiration mm-hmm. is first looking inward, which is something that a lot of us just aren't doing. So it's looking inward first and saying, okay, I like the way that she takes care of herself. I like the way that she's created success for herself. But how can I, I take that. that and make it my own? Yeah. Like, what would that look like for me? Absolutely. That's like unique for me, right? And so it's almost like harnessing the comparison for good. Because I think we all want to ask the question, how can I stop? And I think the answer really is, it's it's actually pretty impossible to stop. So if we can't stop, then what can we do with it? If we can't stop the comparison, let's at least use it for good. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I I think that kind of what you're touching on there a little bit that I've heard you discuss just on your own social platforms and on your own podcast is you're not buying those things off of the Amazon storefront or from their post or from their reel or from their TikTok because you really want that item. You're buying it because you're saying, oh my gosh, that person, it goes back to like the that girl trend from months ago. You know, that person wakes up at 5 a.m. I want to wake up at 5 a.m. That person drinks so much water. They're so hydrated. Of course they have this $45 beautiful glass carafe next to their bed. Like that person is who I want to be. And so I think that by buying those things, I'm going to become that girl or I'm going to be more like her. And so... I first off want to thank you for being on this episode. I feel like this was so informative. You shared so much information. Um, But secondly, this is just like a tiny, tiny, tiny little snippet of all of the information that is out there to be shared. Um, I love what you stand for. I love that you make taboo topics not so taboo. Um, And I know you have a lot of resources out there for both women and men alike, but specifically our audience is, you know, females typically in college post-grad who may be looking for this advice. So as we wrap up, I would love to give you the opportunity to plug yourself, tell us and tell our listeners where they can find you. We'll definitely link um, the episode that you talked about earlier in the show notes, as well as a couple of other episodes that are my personal favorites. Um, But where, where can they find you? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Well, well, 
before I get into it, thank you for having me. This has been so fun. Okay, so I'm going to give you three things to kind of check out and start with. So obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a podcast girly. And so I've got I've got one that you can add into your lineup. Okay, so my Yay. podcast is called The Money Love Podcast, and it's on Apple, Spotify. So just go search The Money Love Podcast and you'll find it. I've got like close to, a, I think, like 100 episodes now. And most of the episodes are just of me talking, but um, I get a lot of great feedback on my podcast. So podcast is the first place that you can start. Um, the second is social media. So Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, just search for my handles are overcoming underscore overspending, just spelled just how it sounds. And then for any of you guys who really are like, okay, yes, you know, money management and specifically nailing down my spending habits and developing healthier habits around my spending is for sure an area that I need help with. How I kind of work with people and help people is I have a program that's called Overcoming Overspending. And what it is, it's a group coaching program. It's open anytime. So anyone can join at any time. You pay once, you're in for life. But in that program, you're going to get like my full kind of system to overcome overspending. And then it also comes with coaching with me. So when you join, you get like an intro kind of one-on-one coaching session with me. And then every single week we do a live coaching call with everyone in the group. So it's live. You can come on. It's on Zoom. We chat. You can ask me questions. You can just, you know, like anything that you need to help with or struggling with, we do that every single week. And then when you finish the program as well, you get another like one-on-one coaching session with me to, again, just kind of troubleshoot, okay, where are we still struggling? Where are things still falling short? That sort of thing. And you get lifetime access to it. So once you join, you're in for life. You get forever access to the course, to the coaching calls. It's awesome. We've got close to 100 women in there right now. And it's it's truly just like the best community. So you can learn more about that at overcomingoverspending.com if you want to join us there. Awesome. So yeah, all that will be listed in the show notes as well um, for all of our listeners out there. So if you want to go and you're listening and you're already looking all this up, that's perfect. Chef's kiss. Um, but if not, everything will be listed in the show notes down below as well as um, a couple of the topics that Paige discussed today. So, um, you know, specifically the app that she uses for budgeting and, you know, talking about that um, as well as access to her content her podcast um, everything of that sort yes all the all good, the good stuff. stuff but Paige thank you so much for being on this show today yes, we loved having yeah. you oh this is so fun I'm feeling inspired to be I'm, I'm a money savvy queen we love it. Successful. Yes. so for all of our listeners out there thank you so much for listening to us um be sure to follow Paige on instagram so that's again overcoming underscore overspending um on instagram and tiktok i believe right yes yes that's i was follow i was getting to it and then follow die. us follow us on instagram <laughs> at hygge girls podcast that is it's right. That's G-G-E right. You heard Girls it here. Podcast. And if you feel so inclined, um, be sure to leave a review for us on if you're listening on Apple Podcasts um, or, you know, give us give us some stars on Spotify, whatever you are feeling. Um, we hope this episode was informative for you all, but was still, you know, conversational. We love having guests on next week. We'll be back with another episode for you all. So until next time, stay happy, stay healthy and stay hookah.